0: Uh, verses 28 through 30. Uh, so I'm going to read uh, those verses and, uh, and talk about the Sabbath. So hear now the word of the Lord. Uh, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The words of our Lord Jesus. One of my favorite games, grown up to play, was the game Mousetrap. Anyone else play this? Uh, while I love this game, I rarely played it because it was exhausting to set up and rarely worked. Uh, you had to get the pieces in just the right place, and if any piece was slightly out of place, the, the trap wouldn't work. It didn't feel like the game uh, itself was something to enjoy, but the game itself was a trap. Could you set it up? And I think this is a pretty good metaphor for how most of us try to live our days, we construct our day with agenda item after agenda item, appointment after appointment, and everything must work just right, or else your day or your week falls completely apart. We're scheduled to the brink, and unless everything works exactly as we designed it, which it never does, our day turns into a disaster, a stress We have uh, two weeks left in our Sabbath series, and um, sometimes the lights don't work the way they're supposed to either. I don't know. Um, uh, Two weeks left in our Sabbath series, and and today, the the hope for this morning is that we'll paint a picture of what the Sabbath might look like in your life. Very practical. And you may hear this, or you may have been thinking through this series, oh oh, great, the Sabbath, one more piece to add to my mousetrap life. Thank you, Tim. Tim. That might be what you think will be the challenge of this message. How can you add Sabbath on top of the mousetrap of your life? But I want to be clear, that that will not be the challenge of this message. The challenge of, of this morning will not be, can you add one more thing? It's, can you say no? Can you do less than what you're doing so two basic points uh, to the message this morning. Why you need a Sabbath and how to Sabbath. Starting with, with why, you, why you need a Sabbath. Uh, so I, we've gone to Matthew 11 a number of times since I, I've been here in the last couple of years. Uh, but, but at the center of this passage is a yoke. And hopefully you know more about uh, a yoke than you did a couple of, of years ago. So let, let's start there. What is a yoke? When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what, what does he mean? What is a yoke? Uh, And here is how scholar Samuel Bacciocci, he's Italian, so if you're Italian and I got that right, bless you, I probably didn't. But here's how he describes that metaphor. Uh, The metaphor of the yoke was commonly used to express subordination and loyalty to God, especially through obedience to the law. Rabbis often spoke of the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, the yoke of the commandments, the yoke of God. And what this means is that devotion to the law and its interpretation is supposed to free a person from the troubles and cares of this world. If you take a yoke upon you, you're committing yourself to obedience to something And that obedience will lead you to freedom from the troubles and cares of the world. And So in Jesus' day, rabbis had a yoke, a body of teaching, a way of life. And you would submit yourself to that that teaching or that way of life. And Jesus is saying, I'm a rabbi. And if you submit to my yoke, my teaching, my way of life... It will lead to rest for your souls. It will lead to freedom and peace in this world. So, Jesus, uh, by invoking this metaphor, is inviting you to ask a question Who is your rabbi? Or in modern America, who is your teacher? Whose yoke are you under? But specifically for this series, when it comes to your calendar, who is your teacher? Who has taught you to construct your week the way you have constructed your week? Who taught us to live mousetrap lives? And, and so a key thing I want to I say this morning is I think the reason why the Sabbath feels unattainable to many of us is because we've adopted assumptions and teachings from teachers of our day who live under a non-Sabbath yoke. Who live under a yoke of hurry. And because we have submitted to their teachings, we live under the yoke of hurry and we do not have rest for our souls. Yoke of hurry. What do I mean by that? Well, I've been hating towards it all series. But this morning, let me, let me just give you three reflections of the time in which you and I live. What the yoke of hurry is and how it's robbing us of the rest and yoke of Jesus. First, the yoke of hurry is a life of digital distraction. So during World War II, something strange happened. A psychologist became a famous celebrity. His name was B.S. Skinner, and he became famous because of an experiment with pigeons. Uh, and here's that experience. Skinner believed you could take an animal, and you could manipulate the animal to pay attention to what you wanted it to pay attention to. So Skinner took a lot of pigeons. Which I mean, just look at that photo. And that guy should be arrested. That's creepy. <laughs> Nobody needs that many pigeons. But he, t- he took all those pigeons, placed them in a cage, and and kept them in the cage till they were hungry. And then they introduced a bird feeder into the cage that would release a seed into the cage when the the experimenter pressed the button. What Skinner did was watch the way the pigeons moved, and then he would choose a random movement that the pigeons would make. And when the pigeons made that movement, he would push the button, and seed would be released so the pigeon could eat. So, let's say that the pigeon would, would stick out its left wing. Skinner would press the button, and every time their their wing got spread out, they got seed. So over time, the pigeons began to catch on and began to see. If I hold out my left wing, I get to eat. And so the pigeons started doing those movements a lot, obsessively. Its attention would become consumed by doing that one movement. And so this is how journalist Johan Hari summarizes Skinner's research. He, he writes, Skinner wanted to figure out how far you could take this. He discovered that you can take it really far. You can take, teach a pigeon to play ping pong. You can teach a rabbit to pick up coins and put them in piggy banks. You can teach a pig to vacuum. The Skinner's experiment, I'd like to meet some of those pigs, but anyway. Skinner's experiment showed that with the right manipulation, you could get an animal to do anything. Oh, this is your, like, interesting history, right? What does this have to do with the Sabbath? Well, Skinner believed you could do the same thing with human beings. That you think you are free to pay attention to whatever you want to. But he believed with the right manipulation, the right programming, you could be reprogrammed into any way a designer wants just like he reprogrammed those pigeons. And I want to submit to you that is happening to us on a massive scale as we speak. Listen to the words again of of Johan Hari. Uh, Years later, the designers of Instagram asked, if we reinforce our users for taking selfies, if we give them hearts and likes, they will start to do it obsessively. Just like the pigeon will obsessively Hold out its left wing to get extra seed. They took Skinner's core techniques and applied them to a billion people. And so now our our lives are governed by digital distractions. Swiping, swiping, swiping our phone. Well, listen to some of these statistics. We touch our phones, on average, 2,617 times every 24 hours. We check our phones 160 times per day, once every nine minutes. 65% of Americans sleep with their phones. 90% of people aged 18 to 29 sleep with their phones. And my guess is no one would say, that, that adds up to a wonderful life, spending hours on my smartphone every day. No, I don't know anyone that thinks that, but we're doing it because we've been reprogrammed to live this life. And please hear grace in what I'm saying. What I'm saying is people are manipulating you to do this. They have a yoke for you and they want to catch you in it because they can make money off your attention. But also hearing me saying that there's no way to experience the rest and peace of God unless we actively resist the people seeking to reprogram and manipulate our attention. The yoke of hurry is a life of digital distraction. Second, the yoke of hurry is endless identity creation. And what I mean by this is I remember in high school wanting to be really good at, at golf and the, motive, the amount of bliss I got when my name was, was spoken during the school news on video, which high schoolers in the room, do they still do video like news announcements during the day? No? Yes? Anyway, that, like you get your name spoken on the, the, the school announcements, Tim Spanberg shot a thirty eight, and Brownsburg beat the Avon Orioles. Man, I am somebody when that happens. Apologies if you went to Avon, you were our bitter arch rivals. But anyway, it, it was more than, golf was more than just golf. That's what I'm, I'm trying to say. It was a means of me being somebody in, in the world. And I know if you're a student in the room, you, you, you get what I'm, I'm saying. If, if you play soccer, you're not just playing soccer. You better be good enough to be somebody. If you're studying for a test, you're not just studying for a test. You're trying to to be somebody, to get into the right school, the right college, the right career. And so we got to schedule ourselves to the brink so that we become somebody. You better study every day. You better practice every day. If you aren't practicing or not studying, you're falling behind somebody who is right now. So how many of us, our, our calendars are so full because we're, we're placing that vision of life onto our kids. They better be somebody so we will schedule them to the brink to ensure that they become what we think they should become. This a German philosopher and former professor at the University of Berlin. I don't know why I'm quoting people from cultures I'm not familiar with, but he's Korean. His name is, is byung Hol Chan. I'm sure I got that wrong. Um, but he wrote a little, a little book called the, the Burnout Society, and here's what he wrote. Neurological illnesses such as depression, ADHD, borderline personality disorder, and burnout syndrome mark the landscape of pathology at the beginning of the 21st century. They are not infections, but infractions. They do not follow from the negativity of what is immunologically foreign, but from an excess of positivity. I know that's dense. Let me explain what he's saying. While there has always been depression and anxiety and ADHD as a part of the human experience, and there will be forever, those symptoms have exploded in our current culture. And what Chan is saying is is that's because of the way we're living in the modern world. We're doing this to ourselves. And the reason he gives is this phrase, an excess of positivity. And what he essentially means is it's because we say yes to way too many things. We give a positive response to way too many things. And so we're scheduled to the brink. Practice every night, homework after practice, up early for jazz band practice, or whatever your yeses have become. Those were mine in high school. And underneath all of it is this assumption that you will only be somebody if you make the grade, score the goal, or stop the goal, win the game, make the team, get your name announced on the school announcement, get into the right college, or else you're a nobody. And you better do everything you can to not be a nobody. And that exhausts us. And has led to the, the neurological illnesses that Sean or Chen talks about. But underneath it all is I I have to do it to be somebody in the world. Third and finally, the yoke of hurry is, is seeking joy, or I could say seeking rest from consumption. So how will I get rest for my souls? Well, it's another vacation. It's buying a toy. It's spending $6 on a pumpkin cream cold brew several times a week. Not that I would do that. I've heard people do that. It's delicious. But my day's terrible, so I, Starbucks will change that. And so I want to bring back something I, I, I used last Sunday from Alan Fadling's book, An Unhurried Life. It's a, an image. He says, driven achievement, or what I just described to you is endless identity creation. I have to, I have to do something in the world to be something. So it's driven achievement. Um, leads to mind-numbing escape. That's digital distraction. Hey, my endless identity creation is not working, but at least I can escape into my phone, my Netflix cube, my Instagram, and forget about it for a few minutes, or a few hours. In um, and, and our culture, um, this is the way we live, and it, and it, it leads to... Um, a life of distraction by consumption. And so here's how a Catholic writer Ronald Rollheiser speaks to this. He says, We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. That We have no time for Sabbath, for weekly communal worship, but we have endless hours to watch movies, to watch sports, to go shopping, to get through our Netflix queue, to phone scroll, whatever it is. And my whole point is, like, this isn't an accident. There are, there are teachers that... Are trying to put a yoke upon you to live this type of life. And I, I hope, I hope we can be honest with ourselves to know this, this is not leading to rest for our souls. And that's why you need a Sabbath. Not as some legalistic rule that God demands of us or He will not love us, but because we need a better teacher with a better yoke. And Jesus is a better teacher with a better yoke. And his yoke, read through the Gospels, was a weekly Sabbath. So then, how do you Sabbath? And to answer that question, uh, you got to answer all the, all, the, all the W questions. Uh, who, when, and what? So first, okay, if you're in a Sabbath, right, how do you Sabbath? We've got to ask, who do I live with? So for example, if you have... A roommate and your Sabbath, uh, and you, you want a Sabbath, your Sabbath must align with who they are. So if you value silence with rest, but your roommate values blasting Taylor Swift as rest, you're gonna have to talk that out. You have to figure that out. And the same is true if, if you're married. A few weeks ago, I asked Misty, What do you need to fully experience a Sabbath? And her answer, which shocked me, was not to watch the Chicago Cubs and read nerd books like her husband. (laughs) Not to meditate on experiments with pigeons. That's not what she said. But because I care about her experiencing Sabbath rest, and I know she cares about me experiencing Sabbath rest, we have to talk about that together. My Sabbath is not my personal care day. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. And it starts with asking, who do I live with? Who's around me? The second question many of us have to ask, not all of us, but, but, but many of us, well, for whom am I responsible? So I'm married to Missy, but we also have four kids, and we care about them experiencing the Sabbath. And that's always going to be in conflict when you have four kids. Now, two of my boys love to play baseball, and, and their vision of a Sabbath would be to stay all day at State Park Little League and just be there watching games, playing baseball, playing with friends. One of my kids would use another biblical word to describe that experience, which I will not speak from this stage. (laughs) So it's a dance. It's a dance. But also, my my kids are my kids. I'm responsible for them, which means I want to shepherd them into the Sabbath rest of Jesus. And, And so I'm watching. Are they anxious? Are they burned out? Are they starting to lose their love for something they used to love? And I have to be the one with the courage to say, for the next 24 hours, we have to say no to some of the things that you really want to say yes to. So maybe your kids are are fantastic students. They need 24 hours of no homework. Or maybe your kids are really bad students. They need 24 hours of no homework. But at least in my role, I'm not just responsible for my kids, I'm also responsible in my vocation here as as lead pastor for the staff team and the culture of our our church. As a church, are we communicating Sabbath through the way we work, through the way we do ministry here? And I had one of our really great staff uh, team members ask me a few weeks ago, will this sermon series affect the way we do ministry at Liberty? the answer should be, of course. And I'm responsible for that. I need to see that as a part of my responsibility because I'm responsible for others. So, who are you responsible toward for making sure they get Sabbath rest? So, how do you do Sabbath? First thing I'm saying, it's not, this isn't spa day for yourself. You might need that, and that's great, go for that, but this is a Sabbath to the Lord. So, who's around you? That's the first question. The second question is when? When are you going to do Sabbath? And this is really important. You have to mark a time that is specific and it doesn't get moved. And by specific, I don't mean sometime on Friday, around Tuesday morning at some point. No, it's Friday, 6 p.m., Sabbath begins. And I want to be clear, I believe you have freedom in this. While I would say ideally all of us in this room would practice the Sabbath on the same day together, that's just not possible for a variety of reasons in our culture so it's a, there's freedom here, I, I believe. But what matters is every seven days, it's the same time. Because by marking out that same time every seven days, you have to say no to things that will not impede into that window of time. To be clear, there's exceptions to that. In my own life, there's exceptions to that. And yet that time frame for me is what is, makes it easy for me to say no. So when are you going to Sabbath? My Sabbath is Friday evening to Saturday evening. And since my kids are in school, it's really important for me to Sabbath at a time when they're, they can Sabbath with, with us. And so it's a really high bar for me to move my Sabbath away from Saturday. So I'm, I'm preempting. If you ever come to me and say, hey, I'd like for you to come to this thing on Saturday. Unless it's tickets to the Chicago Cubs with my kids. The the answer is no. The answer is no. So my hope is you'll name a 24-hour window. And maybe you can only start with six hours, and that, that's okay if that's all you got. As I said last week, I would, I would push us in that. Um, that if, if any of us are living into anywhere near the cultural norms of hours spent watching television, surfing the web on our phone... The reason we can't get to 24 hours, it's not because we don't have the time. It's because we are lost in mind-numbing distractions. But start where you can. Start where you can. So how do we, how do we Sabbath? Well, who is around me? When am I going to do it? But finally, well, what do I fill my day with? What do I fill those 24 hours with? Well, let me offer you four categories to, to reflect on your Sabbath first, you're gonna to have to resist. Uh, many years ago, I hiked the Grand Canyon. It was about six miles on the way down the canyon, a, a descent of about 4,300 feet. And on the hike, I felt fantastic. This is easy. Had a big pack on my back with my, uh, my tent and camping stuff. It's like, so, man, I hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. That was easy. Uh, until I woke up the next morning. And both my friends and I hurt in places we had never hurt before. And the reason is we used different muscles. So we all grew up in Indiana. In Indiana, you can't go 4,300 4, feet down anywhere unless you're, like, into the core of the earth. Like, it's, we're flat. So I, never, I had never used those muscles. And now all of a sudden, those muscles got used intensely for a three- to four-hour window. And the next morning, I felt those, those things. The Sabbath is the same deal. Sabbath is not about what can you add. It's about resisting. It's about stopping yourself from tumbling down the hill of hurriedness and going at a pace that's manageable and sustainable. The Sabbath is about saying no. Resisting. So, so cultivate practices of resistance. Let me offer you two ideas. The first, uh, resist all work. By turning off all work devices for 24 hours. No email. No texts. No Slack. No Basecamp. No Trello. Whatever app you use. Turn it off. Don't just put it away. Turn it off and put it away. For me, that means my iPad is, is turned off. I don't, even, I don't use it for anything on, on that day. Because it's a reminder of work. Turn it off. Place it away. And that practice is a a powerful reminder that this is the Lord's church, not mine. And he doesn't need me for the next 24 hours. And the same is true whatever your vocation or work is. Uh, Resistance practice two. Resist the yoke of hurry by turning off your phone for 24 hours. So this this is my phone. And what's amazing about this is it does not have an on and off switch. Might that be intentional? So I'm going to teach you how to turn your phone off this morning. Listen, I'm Apple uh, because I'm a Christian, so this is an iPhone. If you're, if, you're, uh, if you're Android, listen, we got other things to talk about. But you actually, you actually can turn this phone off. And I, I had to double check this morning because I typically go into settings. But if you touch the top volume button and your hold button on the other side, hold them down for a while. Look at that. One, you can make an emergency call if you're in danger. So that's one thing it does. But slide the power off. And then it turns off. 24 hours, turn your phone off. And now you know how to because for a long time I didn't know that was possible uh, with my phone. Um, turn your phone off for 24 hours. So that's first. Resist. You, there will be no Sabbath without resistance. Second, uh, revere. It's not just a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. So practice reverence to the Lord. Worship the Lord on your Sabbath. And So a reverence practice to invite you into is, is to commit to weekly communal worship. Weekly communal worship. One thing that's becoming increasingly clear is that uh, church attendance in the United States is, is just cratering. And some of that is because people have left the church. But the primary driver of decrease in church attendance is not, a, is not people abandoning church altogether. and That's happening, and, and we'll talk more about that in a, in a few months. But the bigger trend is people who used to ch- attend church weekly now attend once to maybe twice a month, but most likely once a month. Weekly worship has become monthly worship. So the question becomes, why are we doing that? Because if it was like, well, I serve the poor and lead a worship service for them, that's, you're going to be fine. I'm not worried about you. Go do that. But my experience, the answer to those questions is, is those three, three hurry things I gave to you. It's about endless identity creation. My kids need to, be, to play sports seven days a week. We can't worship weekly anymore. I can't work. I can't take a day off. From, I got to be at work on Sunday mornings. Um, now it's endless idea, or it's the mind numbing distractions. It's well, I got a boat. Someone's got to drive it on Sunday. Might as well be me. It's vacation opportunities. It's leisure opportunities. And listen, I'm not saying none of those things are wrong or sinful. But when those yeses replace weekly worship, it's not going to lead to a life of rest. At least not the rest that Jesus promises in discipleship to him. And that's one of the biggest ways to, to practice resistance is I know in that communal worship space, whatever I'm invited into, the answer is no. Not out of legalism because if you come here, you'll be saved and Jesus will love you. I don't believe that. But I can tell you, at least from my own life, like I need to be in a space where people are singing and praying over me regularly where I'm gathered around a table of communion and I'm reminded his body was given for me, his blood was shed for me. That's the single biggest identity marker of my life is the person of Jesus. And when I continually say no to that, to do other things, what I'm saying is my identity is actually in these things. This is an addition to these things. These are the things really important to me that will never lead to a life of, of rest. Third, on your Sabbath, restore. What gives restoration to your soul? My kids uh, were young. Uh, Misty uh, did most of the diaper changing because the way we, our, our work life worked out, that was kind of how it, it, it happened. So um, when we had Sabbath, one of the Sabbath practices was she did not change any diapers on Sabbath. And that restored her soul for 24 hours. Whatever came out of my children was my responsibility. And to know that gift was coming, not that I didn't change diapers with the other six. I want to be clear about that. But like that 24, I was doing, it was all me. It was all me. And I know what you're thinking, but, but Tim, what about your soul and rest- restoring to you? Okay, one person was thinking that. Thank you, all of you. <laughs> I can tell you when, I pra- when we practiced that well, knowing that I was giving my wife Sabbath was restoring to my soul. But that practice may not be relevant to most of us in, in this room. That may be your distant past, of which you're grateful for. So a couple ideas, restoring. Uh, restoring practice one, go to sleep and set no alarm for when you will wake up. Maybe you'll sleep for 10 hours. Good for you. And this might sound weird, but one of the most powerful experiences I had in my life um, I want to. I want a prayer retreat at a monastery, and you know, join the monks five days or five times a day in prayer, reciting the psalms. Uh, but one day, I was I was just so tired and exalted, and it was time for afternoon prayer, and I was like, I just want to sleep. Um, and I felt the Lord saying, uh, "Yeah, do that. Just rest and sleep." Listen, I, I love naps, but I would rarely describe naps as a spiritual, a supernatural experience. That nap was a supernatural experience. And a month later, COVID-19 happened. And I look back to that moment as the Lord's saying, listen, some things are going to happen, and you need some rest, so just sleep. So go to sleep, just sleep with no alarm. Restoring practice too. do the thing that Jesus most uses to restore you. It's important for me to say again, our Sabbath is not our day. It's our, our Sabbath to the Lord. So what connects you to the presence of Jesus? For me, it's, it's reading, it's studying, it's digging deeply into the truth of the Bible, reading dense theology books. That's not everyone. That's okay. Um, for you, maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's, it's serving someone. Maybe it's hosting a meal and having people into your home. Whatever brings you joy and restores your soul in the presence of Jesus, do that. Create a list and then block out a day to do that. And then fourth and finally, uh, on your Sabbath, revel. It's fall. So Sabbath by going and getting yourself the biggest caramel apple you've ever found and share it with somebody. Go get your pumpkin on, in a latte, in a pie, in a loaf, and a cold brew. Wherever you like to put your pumpkin, put it there and enjoy it. That's what I'm saying. Not as a means of self-indulgence, but a means of remembering. Genesis 1, where we started this series, Adam and Eve, God says to them, eat from all the trees. Not one, but all the trees. And there are a lot of trees that produce a lot of things that we get to eat. Fresh Michigan apples or Blueberries, an Indiana tomato on a BLT, freshly roasted coffee beans, ground and brewed to perfection. God made all of it, so revel in it on your Sabbath. As Englishman and Martyr John Bradford said, look at creation. Look at it all. This is the world God has given to his enemies. Imagine the world he will give to his friends. Revel in God's good world. And my assumption is all those things I just named, you want to do those things. You want to sleep with no alarm. You want to have a break from work and its devices. You want to eat a really good meal. You want to do what Jesus uses to restore you in his presence. You want to to thank God for pumpkins. But the reason you can't do those things is you cannot say no. So how do we get to the place where we say no to the yoke of hurry and yes to the yoke of Jesus? And I don't, know what, I don't know what your answer to that question is. I know what mine is. It's these words from Matthew 11. Jesus says to us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice the qualifications you have to meet for Jesus to be your rabbi, your teacher. You have to be worn out from labor. Are you worn out? You have qualified to be a disciple of Jesus. And heavy laden? Are you burdened? You have qualified to be a disciple of Jesus. That's it. Only qualifications. Jesus says to worn out, burdened people, come to me, learn from me, and you will find rest. That's the Son of God saying that to you. Not the Son of God entering into our world and saying, listen, this place is a wreck and it's your fault and you better get it together and then come be my disciple. No, he's like, "I, I see everything that's wearing you down. I see it all. So why don't you learn how to do life for me instead? Take my yoke upon you. Because let's be honest, are you going to find more joy in the the constant weekend trips away, the next vacation, one more act of consumption, than your Creator saying to you, listen, I see you're worn out and burned out, so can I lead you instead? Can you seek the things of rest through me instead of the things your world has told you will bring you rest? Because you're not going to find rest in those things. We know it. It's not coming through our phones. It's not coming through our identity creation. It's not coming through consumption. Yet we give so much of our lives to those things. Rest comes through the presence of Jesus. And here's Jesus saying, and I want to give you my presence. Come to me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. That the heart of this series is not that the Sabbath is a day, although the day can become a practice to experience the Sabbath. The heart of the series is that the Sabbath is a person whose name is Jesus. And we get to carve out a day to get back into touch with that person who actually knows how to live a human life. Who knows how to live at rest in his soul. Who can free us from a life of digital slavery, consumption, to being a human being again. And here's the best news of this series, at least to me. That maybe maybe you'll leave this series and you'll begin a Sabbath practice that changes your life. So much so, your neighbors are gonna come to you and say, how do you have so much peace and rest in a world of anxiety? And you're gonna be like, listen, I got some pumpkin in my house, let's go eat it. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus and how you can find rest for your souls. This is all his idea, and he loves you, and he wants you to have it. Or maybe your next few years will be burnout, exhaustion, living under the yoke of our, our culture's hurry. Whatever your future holds, Jesus will always be here with his invitation to you. His words will never change. Come to me. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. Let us pray. The Father, even now, I seek on behalf of all of us, me included in this room, the rest of Jesus, his yoke, his person, his presence, that we so desperately need. And So as we sing uh, in this moment, as we prepare for communion, we invite the presence of Jesus through his spirit to be here among us, making the promise of rest true. We've tried to speak it. We've, we've sung it. We've read from it. But we believe, Jesus, you are alive. Your spirit is among us. And the rest that we so desperately want to experience, you're here to offer it to us. Open our hands, soften our hearts that we might receive it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.